You're listening to the Crosscheck NHL Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. Hello and welcome to the Crosscheck NHL Show. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. My name is Mary Clark, staff writer for The Win. I'm here with Rachel Donner, co-host of the Lockdown Flyers podcast and my special guest co-host for this week. On this Thursday edition of the Crosscheck, the NHL season may be over, but the news keeps on coming. We'll break down Pecorine's retirement from the NHL and his legacy in the league, and also the Wild's, well, wild announcement of the buyout of Zach Parise and Ryan Suter from their contracts. Plus, we'll have the Athletics' own Charlie O'Connor on the podcast to discuss the Flyers' off-season plans, their status going into the draft, and some of his hobbies outside of hockey. So Rachel, before we start off today's show, how you doing? Doing pretty good. A lot more NHL news than was certainly expecting this week. So it'll be fun to talk about it. Yeah, uh, it is. I was very scared. Like I had said, I was in our pre-show. I was very scared that we uh, that we would come into these episodes with uh, Andrew gone and the NHL season over, and I wouldn't have anything to talk about, and I'd be scrambling to talk about something but thankfully the nhl is uh provided me with some really good content to talk about like i said last time we had uh you know pierre mcguire getting a new job uh but today there are some there's some pretty pretty interesting interesting news uh so i guess first we'll start off with the fact that pecorine longtime goaltender for the nashville predators has retired um he spent all of his 15 year career in nashville um ended with a uh, 917 save percentage um he was i guess a he was he was a mainstay of the predators for a very very long time i mean 15 years is a, like i said a long time but uh he's been a mainstay uh he had one Vezina trophy and was uh two runner-ups like runner-up twice um so rachel do you have any thoughts on you know his career ending um what it means for the predators going forward do you just have any thoughts on saying our goodbyes to good old pecorine I mean, it's really sad to me for a number of reasons. Number one, he's just always been a a fun player to to follow and that he really has been the identity of the Nashville Predators. Like, I just cannot think of another player that you would say, yes, this is Nashville, right? And also, you know, sometimes when a particular player retires without having won a Stanley Cup, like, I just get very weepy on their behalf. And Pekka Rene is definitely one of those guys. I think as far as goalies go, it's maybe him and Roberto Luongo mm-hmm. that I'm oh, yeah. the saddest for in terms of having never won a cup. And, you know, both got so close and yet. And yet so far. Yeah. Oh, uh, Roberto Luongo, that's a... That's a blast from the past. Uh, but speaking of, you know, Rene's playoff runs, he had eight playoff appearances, uh, like throughout the seasons, uh, in total a 914 save percentage. And he had that one Stanley Cup final appearance in 2016, 2017. Uh, like you said, it really is, uh, sad because he is a, he was a fun player to watch in his, in his peak. I mean, I know he had, um, he had fallen off uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, and so we all kind of knew that uh, retirement was coming for him. Uh, but it is sad that he didn't get over that hump um, against the Penguins that year, I think. Was it the Penguins? I feel like it was. But when, like, he, didn't, he wasn't able to get over the hump. Uh, and that it is sad. Uh, and 
I was going to ask if he thought him, you know, that it's he's probably not going to be a Hall of Famer. He doesn't have like he's not, you know, he doesn't have the stats, doesn't have the hardware. But the Vesna Trophy is definitely a standout for him for sure. And he will get his number retired in Nashville. Mm -hmm. So I think that'll be nice. And I'm just glad he got to kind of go out on his own terms. You know, he made this decision. It was what was best for him and his family. And that I definitely appreciate. Yeah. Um, I feel like I remember, I mean, it it feels so long ago, kind of because it was, but um, his last game in front of, I think, Nashville fans was pretty emotional. Um, uh, So... It is it is sad because uh, I really did think that that Predators team had a lot more in them and he was definitely the backbone of it. Uh, I really thought that they would have stuck around for a little bit longer than they did. Um, and it uh, just unfortunately never happens because, you know, he fell off and then so did the team and pieces got broken up. But I really did think that this that Predators team would have gotten at least one cup. And I think we're going to look back at that era and... Just like you said, be a bit sad about it, be a little bit weepy because uh, it kind of feels like they missed out on an opportunity um, that they that they're not going to get from that era of players anymore. Moving on, though, I think the biggest news that was like the I wanted to tease you guys a little bit with some of the news here because that was like the little news. But then we got the really big news on Tuesday that the Minnesota Wild have bought out Zach Brise and Ryan Suter's contracts. Those big old contracts that got signed way, 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 way back in the day. Um, they're buying out uh, the four years left on each of their contracts. Um, Rachel, I know this shocked the hockey world, but what were you thinking when this uh, when this news broke? Yeah, I was definitely surprised. I think that maybe you would have thought that they would buy out one of them in order to make the space to protect Dumba, but both of them I, I mean I don't know I think it was just the fact that it was both of them and there is a certain symmetry to it with how they got yeah. signed and <laughs> how they're going out but I, I do think that it was definitely a surprise that it was both of them and the fact that you know this is a huge gamble for the wild as far as their cap goes and I am very intrigued to see how this plays out for them in the short term and the long term yeah, um, so both players will become free agents on July 28th um, as part of being bought out. Um, and then uh, it leaves the Wild with uh, $10.33 million in cap space for this summer. Um, they're going to have to pay um, over the next eight years $6.7 million and then like numbers that decrease or increase um, just because of you know salary cap retention um, and all that good stuff. Um, so I won't bore you guys with the numbers, but, um, it really, like you said, it leaves the wild in a really interesting situation, um, where they now have a bunch of cap space available. Um, and that also will be added depending on who Seattle takes, um, in the expansion draft. But, you know, they've got Kuro Kaprizov coming up and Kevin Fiala to be re-signed, uh, this summer. So that leaves them with a good chunk of change to do so. Um, so I know that there had been rumors that Kaprizov was going to go to the KHL, but I think maybe with the, um, with the, that amount of cap space open, um, and the wild ready to sign maybe a blank check for them. I, I know it's, it might be a little bit ridiculous to hear, but it does kind of feel like they're going to give him what almost whatever he wants. Cause he was so good in the limited amount of games we saw him in. I don't know if you have a, a thought on that, Rachel, but it really does feel like this opens them up to like, 
maybe go a little bit bigger than they wanted to on Kaprizov just to keep him around because they may have been scared of the KHL rumors. Absolutely. I mean, I do think you're right that it will depend on how the expansion draft goes and where the final cap space hits because they do have to ice a complete team. <laughs> so and we'll have to kind of replace the roles of Parise and Suter on, on the team somehow. Now, if they can do it with prospects that are super cheap, that's great. But uh, and then having Kaprizov still around, I think, will help balance that out if they have players that don't produce to the level of Parise and Suter, but they have kept Kaprizov, you know. I think that is a, a fair approach to take. I just, you know, they'll just have to make good on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but swinging around to the now two, well, I don't know if I'm going to call them top free agents, but we got two new free agents out there on the market now, Rachel. Um, since you are first and foremost a Flyers person, should the Flyers go after one of them in free agency this offseason? Um, you know, I don't necessarily think so I, I i think it's worth having a discussion about Suter and if he could fit but i don't know that that is the right move for the flyers i'm sure chuck fletcher will at least you know give him a call because you know <laughs> they have history and everything given that he signed him to that big deal in minnesota but i just don't think that it makes sense with what the flyers are trying to do this particular offseason yeah, I can see that. I mean, part of me thinks that um, uh, Zach Parise, definitely not uh, somebody the Flyers should look at, um, for sure. But Suter, I I give a little bit of pause just because I, I know this is like a dream scenario where like the money really doesn't matter. But, you know, if the Flyers could add somebody, you know, like uh, somebody on the top pair and then add Suter to like, you know, middle of the pack of their defense, that would be, I think, for me, the ideal. Because I know a lot of Flyers fans have been talking about wanting, you know, not just one addition on the defense, but two. Uh, I think Suter would make an, I think, more than respectable second addition, but it has to be, it can't be like the big move. It'd have to be like the the second um, add that they make to their defense. But that's just like the the dream scenario uh, that's that played out in my head when I saw this news because I did find it very intriguing. Um, and you're right. I don't, I think Chuck Fletcher will do his due diligence here in at least looking at it. Um, we'll see if that's something that the Flyers want to go for. But I do think that it, it really cracks open a lot of like um, stuff for this, like free agents for this off season now. I mean, we have free free agents left and right. I I really think that we're going to see a lot of movement um in the coming weeks um with free agents and trades and stuff like that. Um do you have like Rachel, do you have any I guess predictions of why well, we'll talk about this with Charlie O'Connor coming up uh in a in a few minutes, but do you have any predictions as to when the Flyers will make their first move? I mean, I think it's going to have to wait until after the expansion draft. Because, I mean, unless there's a move related to it where they give Seattle a sweetener to take somebody in particular or to not take somebody in particular, which they are also allowed to do. But I think that the only thing the Flyers could potentially do before that is sign and, you know, a, a current free agent, but that they weren't planning on protecting anyway just so, for a sign and trade but uh, very unlikely so I think we're not going to see anything from the Flyers until the expansion draft yeah I guess that makes sense and we're going to talk about it with Charlie O'Connor coming up next uh just wanted to you know finish out the rest of the NHL news but it really is 
um, fascinating to me how much movement there could possibly be this offseason. That plus compounded into a shortened offseason because I think the NHL announced recently that they are going back to their regular 82 game schedule and the same divisions as, you know, before, but moving Arizona to the central because Seattle's moving to the Pacific. But we are facing down a short offseason um, with a likely a lot of movement. Um, so I know that Andrew and I will be uh, discussing that um, in the coming weeks. Uh, but coming up next, though, like I said, we have our interview with Charlie O'Connor of The Athletic, where we talk about the Flyers, expansion draft, Chuck Fletcher's recent press conference, what they do at the draft. And Rachel and I grill him on some of his hobbies outside of hockey because it has been on my mind for a while and I'm glad I got to corner him into doing it right after this. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, ML- NBA, NHL, and all your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on. And welcome back to the Crosscheck NHL show. Uh, Rachel and I are joined by a good colleague, friend of mine, uh, longtime, longtime fan, uh, at least for me anyway, of Charlie O'Connor of The Athletic and Broad Street Hockey Radio. Uh, I really should have done the intro like Bill Matz does, but uh, I'm not, I'm not a good, as good of a host as he is. But uh, how you doing, Charlie? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's uh, it's cool to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, since I'm taking over the reins this week because Andrew's not here, because uh, he is on vacation enjoying himself like I was a couple weeks ago. Uh, so I get to call the shots, and I was like, I'm gonna call up my old Flyers buddies, and we're gonna talk Flyers because I didn't get to talk about them at all during the regular season because they disappointed me and they weren't in the playoffs. Um, so it is just. Yeah, I'm just here going to bring the Flyers content to you all. Uh, so I guess the first thing to really talk about is um, we got some like, news, kind of. Uh, Chuck Fletcher had a press conference on Tuesday, uh, and I guess that's the big thing. Um, so at least for me, there wasn't a lot that like was new. Uh, but off the top, I think the thing that surprised me the most was they had mentioned they had changes to the front office that they are going to announce in short time. Does that mean Michelle Tarion and Mike Yo are gone, or is that more uh, different, just like internal structuring? Yeah, I, I don't think it's it's the former. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, I, Flyers I, fans. Yeah, I do not think either one of the assistants is is being let go. Um, I think if they were going to do something like that, they would have done it early, um, you know, early in the offseason. And Chuck Fletcher's given those guys you know multiple votes of confidence since the season's been done that he believes that the the veteran coaching staff is what they need to, to turn this around. So you know we'll see if uh, if that plays out the way they're they're anticipating. But yeah, that uh that comment did um you know raise my eyebrows as well. Um, you know, I did some digging uh, in terms of you know talking to people around the organization after he said that, and you know it, it's it's interesting. I suspect. A lot of it is, you know, more or less just, you know, exactly what he said, restructuring, you know, they, they, I suspect they may have like changed the structure of some of the, you know, different departments, you know, maybe people, there were some role redundancies, maybe people are working on slightly different things than they did before, just trying to make things more efficient. Um, that said, there are, you know, there are some changes. Um, you, you heard earlier this week that, um, 
that Brett Hextall was was hired by Pittsburgh, which was no surprise because even though he stayed on with the Flyers after you know his father Ron was relieved of his duties as GM, he was a Brett was a player development coach. The, the chances of him not being hired by his dad were pretty slim, so that was going to happen. So another player development coach probably come in. Um, they also hired Kerry Huffman. This isn't new. Kerry Huffman used to be the assistant coach in Lehigh Valley for the AHL team. Um, he just he basically decided to leave on his own around the time that Scott Gordon was announced that he wasn't going to be returning. Um, so Huffman now pops up in Pittsburgh as well. So they're going to have to hire assistants in the AHL. And obviously they hired Ian LaPerriere to take over the job as head coach in the AHL um, you know, to replace Scott Gordon, which means there's an assistant coach spot on the NHL team that's available that I suspect will be announced relatively soon. Um, so there's that. They also hired a new scout, which uh, is something that um, I don't think the Flyers have officially announced, but it's been announced in the WHL. Um, it's this guy, Matt Bardsley, who used to be the uh, the Blazers GM in the WHL. He got, uh, he got hired as the new, um, one of the new Western uh, scouts. So he'll be doing like the WHL and the BCHL along with, uh, with Mark Gray. Greg, who's a longtime scout um, you know, for the Flyers over there. Um, so there's been some changes. There's been some maneuverings, definitely. Um, but I suspect a lot of it, and, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but the people I've talked to you know, were kind of like, yeah, I don't think it's anything huge. It's just they're trying to make things more efficient. They're trying to you know, hold people accountable, accountable for the bad season that the team had this year, and they're trying to make changes to make things better. So um, I, I'm sure there will be more things announced you know, in the, uh, in the coming weeks, maybe after the, the rush of the off season ends and there's kind of some dead time. Uh, but I don't think it's as if, you know, secretly they've canned all the assistants and anything <laughs> like that. I'm not, I'm not expecting anything, you know, earth shaking like that. Do you think that any of these additional hires will be people that are out of the box or do you think the flyers are like going to pick from the pool of hockey men? Yeah, I I would expect the pool of hockey men. Unfortunately, uh, it's just you know there's always the chance that they hire someone interesting. Um, that'd be cool. Um, uh, I I don't think Chuck Fletcher is a like anti-progressive guy. You know, I, I don't get the sense that he's you know super into only hiring the traditional. That said, I mean he's been in the game his entire life pretty much. So those are the people he knows. It's just the you know the chalk pick to, to hire people that you that you know that you've got endorsements for from you know the people you've been around for you know 40, 50 years. Um, so I would expect that, but you never know. I, I don't think Fletcher is necessarily like opposed to making you know an outside the box hire. I just I'm not you know it's not something that I've heard that there's, there's something coming that really is going to, you know, be maybe not send shockwaves, but just be, you know, Hey, that's, that's a, that's an interesting hire. I think it might be more shock. Hmm. Was there anything else interesting from that press conference? Um, I mean, yesterday I paid attention to it on Twitter and it really seems just kind of like the same old, same old, but was, was there anything like, you know, unique or interesting that you picked out from it uh, that you would like to highlight or just, I guess, something for Flyers fans to keep an eye on uh, as we roll up to the expansion draft and the uh, entry draft. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a classic general managers press conference, you know, a lot of cliches, a lot of platitudes, a lot of um, GM speak, as I would call it. There, there was some stuff in there that, you know, maybe it was, it was, it, they were things that were speculated, but, you know, were confirmed in their own way. You know, I did find it interesting that Fletcher more or less said that, 
he's more willing to trade the 13th overall pick than he would be in a normal year. That was a pretty blunt sign to not just the fan base, but to other teams that were open for business with that pick. I'm sure they already know that because I'm sure Fletcher shot that pick ostensibly over the last month or so, but it just sends a signal that, you know, this isn't, this isn't posturing. We're, we're more than willing to move that pick. Um, you know, some other things that, that popped up. One thing I did find interesting was Fletcher more or less, I think tried to prepare the fan base that the next couple days might not be super busy. Um, just sort of making the point that it seems like a lot of teams are waiting until after the expansion draft to make their trades. You know, it seems like most teams have pretty much locked in what they're going to do in terms of protection. And if you make a trade that throws that for a loop, unless you make a trade that essentially is like flipping one protected guy for another protected guy or, or whatever, it just adds another layer of complexity to it. And, and I think Fletcher more or less wanted to repair the fans who obviously are expecting understandably. So a busy off season that, Hey, it might not happen this week because, you know, we've, obviously the expansion draft, the the protection lists are, are due on Saturday. They'll be announced Sunday. And then there's the trade freeze from Saturday through, I believe, Thursday early afternoon, where the only trades that can happen are trades between a team and the Kraken. So there can't be any trades in that period between say, like if the flyers wanted to make a deal with the predators, like that just can't be announced. So if that's not announced by Saturday, it can't be announced until the day before the draft. So that gives, you know, another few days where not much might be happening. So I think Fletcher wanted to kind of get out in front of that one and be like, Hey, might be a little quieter than you think, but that doesn't mean that we're going to do nothing this off season. That was, that was interesting to me. It was just a little bit away of him. I think playing the PR game a bit. Uh, he seemed to kick the can a little bit on the qualifying offers. Do you think there'll be any surprises there? Or, like, who do you think they're, they'll give those offers to? No, I think they'll qualify pretty much everybody. Um, I honestly haven't gone through and looked at every single RFA in terms of even the, uh, you know, the, the, the low key ones, you know, the, the organizational depth guys, but no, I'm not expecting, you know, the, the big names, like obviously Carter Hart's going to be qualified. Travis Sanai is going to be qualified. Nolan Patrick's right. going to be qualified. Like the big guys, they're, they're going to be, and even like, you know, the, the Carson Twerensky types, like I'm sure they'll qualify them, you know, even somebody like Mikhail Vorobiev, like they're not going to, bring him back over. He signed a deal in the KHL. He probably is never going to play another game, you know, maybe not even in North America, but probably not in the Flyers organization again, but I'm sure they'll qualify him because, you know, might as well keep his rights in case he breaks out and has a 50 point season in the KHL. And then suddenly, you know, other teams want him. Maybe the Flyers would want him back. Um, so they'll pretty much qualify everybody. I think um, the interesting part about that to me was that, you know, Fletcher more or less said that signing the RFAs to deals right now isn't, really a top priority it's it's gonna happen we'll we'll get them signed but we're not prioritizing doing that right away which is interesting because if they're gonna make moves they kind of have to have an idea of how much cap space they're gonna have and if you leave these rfa deals in limbo you don't know exactly how much you have to allocate to carter hart how much you have to allocate to travis santa like i don't think Nolan patrick if he stays on the flyers is going to get paid that much but he'll probably get a raise he's played enough games where he's going to get a more a bit more money than he did this year um but that tells me number one that they probably have a pretty good idea of how much those guys are going to cost in aggregate which cuts down on the urgency of having to do it now and number two, it also tells me maybe that, you know, there's a lot of different paths 
that this offseason can take for the Flyers. And maybe they don't want to lock themselves in to signing these guys to a specific structure without knowing what the rest of their cap situation looks like after they make the moves they want to make. So it was just an interesting little tidbit because it, it by not signing them, it gives them a little bit more flexibility in terms of no, you know, if you sign Carter Hart to a deal now, that's his cap it, regardless of whether you go out and you make big trades and make big signings or whether you sit on your hands. If you don't sign him, I mean, you're still eventually going to sign him, but you have a better understanding of like, okay, do we go one year? Do we go three years? Do we try to sign him long-term? Like it just gives you a better understanding of how much cap room you actually have and what structure might be the best for your, your short-term and long-term situation. Yeah. I guess speaking of, you know, the, salary cap and stuff like that um it's a lot of that i think will depend on what happens in the expansion draft because i mean rachel and i had mentioned uh in the last podcast when we talked about the flyers and the expansion draft uh it looks like voracek is likely going to be exposed uh, which i found a, kind of a bit of a shock just because i didn't think they would actually go that route but um it really seems like the big three in terms of like who could be like who seattle could pick is voracek jvr or shane Bear, who i mean i know ghost has like um not as much of a cap hit as the others, but do you have any insight as to maybe like what Seattle could be thinking? Do you have any, like, just like, just like off the cuff of like what you're thinking, like what would be Seattle's play? Who do you think they could pick from those or none of them? I mean, it's possible that they could pick none of them. You know, there's, there's other players available if they want to go the cheap route, you know, Nicholas Albay Cubell, he didn't have a good year this year, but he's got potential. He's got talent and he's inexpensive. You know, I don't think the, the the Seattle front office would go for Robert Haig because they're definitely more analytically focused and Robert Haig's analytics are quite terrible. Um, they actually weren't this year, but generally speaking, they're quite terrible. Um, Justin Braun could be a possibility. You know, he's a, a cheaper, you know, veteran type option. He's an actually good defensive defenseman. Not great, but he's fine and he's inexpensive. So he's an option as well. But, you know, one thing that I've, I've kind of picked up on um you know looking at the other teams and talking with you know other writers and whatnot is that there aren't a ton of you know high-end productive scores they're going to be available in the expansion draft that are on like non-killer contracts you know like, there's been talk yesterday i believe about like matt duchene will be exposed and matt duchene's a good player his contract is really bad at least in terms of what he's delivered over the last couple of years compare that to say a james van reemsdyke who you know like he's got two years left on a deal at seven million dollars a year that's not a crippling contract you know is it maybe a little bit overpaid maybe you know maybe ideally he'd be getting six mil over two years but you're talking about a guy who you know scores 25 to 30 goals a year scores 60 55 to 60 points a year who's good in the locker room and you know the contract is going to expire and he's going to be 34 and he hasn't really shown much signs of slippage so if you're seattle and you're like we need somebody to score the goals you look at somebody like Van Riemsdyk and you say, you know, that contract's not going to kill us. It's pretty much fair value. Why not get him to score the goals rather than having to take on, you know, five more years of Matt Duchesne at an exorbitant cap hit. So I think that's kind of where Seattle's head might be at in terms of looking at the Flyers, you know, high price choices. Shane Goss is very interesting because, you know, I think he's a good player, but I think there's going to be quite a few defensemen exposed that are like Shane Goss's bear. Like if I'm put it this way, if I'm Seattle and I have a choice between taking Shane Goss's bear and Vince or Vince Dunn to fill that role of, you know, the sheltered third pair offensively oriented defenseman, I'm probably taking Dunn because he'll be cheaper and he's younger. 
So that's kind of why I wonder if they would take Ghost because I think there are other guys out there that are like Ghost and maybe, you know, would be more attractive. Voracek's the interesting one because, you know, obviously there's been the recent reports from Elliot Friedman that the Flyers, you know, not only are, ex- are exposing Voracek, which didn't shock me. I mean, I've been projecting the Flyers are going to expose Voracek for, for months now. It just made all the sense in the world. And they definitely had conversation with Voracek preparing him for that possibility because that's what you do when you're going to leave one of your team leaders exposed. You don't blindside him. You make sure that he's in the loop in the conversation. But what was interesting about those reports was the idea that the Flyers not only ever are going to expose him, but are trying to almost push him on Seattle. And if Seattle doesn't take him, they may try to trade him somewhere else. And that's interesting to me because that tells me that the Flyers might be not just not just looking at Voracek as a guy where, well, we'll expose him because they're not going to take his $8 million cap in anyway, which was sort of the way I was looking at it. And more that we're exposing him. And also he's kind of our first choice to move to clear cap space. And that's interesting to me because that means that maybe they'd be willing to pay a sweetener to Seattle if Seattle is willing to take Jake Voracek. And that opens up a whole new can of worms with regards to, you know, the importance they're placing on shaking things up, changing the core, adjusting the leadership and whatnot, because, you know, Jake Voracek is, is he's been with the team 10 years. He's a team leader. He's a voice in that locker room. And if you're deciding that, Hey, he's a priority to move out, that tells you something about the off season. The flyers are looking to have. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to switch tracks uh, to the draft because that will be coming up right after the expansion draft, uh, which just the hits keep on coming. It keeps on coming. The hockey off season just keeps on rolling. And uh, I know you are probably very busy. uh, So I hope you take a bit of a break once this is all over. Uh, But what do you think they do with that first round pick? Um, Do you think they go for a goalie, which did kind of surprise me in Chuck Fletcher's press conference that they mentioned they might, you know, maybe draft a goalie. What do you think they do with it? Do you, do they keep it? Do they trade it? Do they pick a goalie and scare Carter Hart out of his pants? <laughs> what do they do? Yeah. I mean, my gut feel is that they're going to trade it. Um, I could be wrong. You know, and obviously they're going to need the right deal, but my gut feel is that Chuck Fletcher wants to trade that pick. I think in all honesty, from what I heard back in March before the season fell apart, I think Chuck Fletcher wanted to trade that deal at the deadline. Like I think he wanted he wanted to go for it this past year and the team just fell apart. So he couldn't like, how can you justify trading a first round pick for David Savard when you're probably not even going to make the playoffs? But I think they wanted to trade that pick at the deadline. I think they want to trade it now. Now, is it is it possible that the, the right deal doesn't come up, that the right player isn't out there? You know, Fletcher made it abundantly clear that he's not going to trade that pick for a rental, which is, I think, part of the reason why they've pulled back out of the Seth Jones sweepstakes, because if Seth Jones isn't willing to extend with the Flyers, he then is a rental, which I don't think they're willing to give up that first round pick for that. But I think they want to trade the pick. Um, if they keep it... You know, the reason why, because I, I was the one that I think Bill, Bill Meltzer asked the first goalie question. I followed up because I wanted to get a little bit more specific and get, get Brent Flair, the assistant general manager, a little bit more on the record about that. The reason why the goalie question is fascinating is because the two top goalie prospects in the draft, like there is a chance that they both could be available at 13. Um, we're talking about uh, Sebastian Casa and, uh, and Jesper Wallstead, and they're both really good. Like they're both really good prospects and they could be available at 13, like right at the spot where the flyers are picking. And that's when you have to get into a tough, you know, a tough choice if you're the flyers where like they might be the top player on your board, especially Wallstead, who apparently is like a stud. He's already been, he's already an above average goalie in the SHL and he's 18. Like he's really good. And if he's there, 
you have a tough decision to make because he probably would be the best player available. Talent-wise, probably the best player available. But then you run into the thing of you make that pick. What message does that send to Carter Hart? And uh, yeah, it's like an Eagle situation. Out exactly. Here with it, like Jalen hurts. Yeah. yeah it, it's very much the exact same thing. And you know that every single media person in Philadelphia is going to make that point And it's going to be a whole thing. And you've got a guy in Carter Hart who, I mean, I have a lot of faith that he's going to bounce back, but he had a rough year, both on the ice and off the ice. And now you're going to throw even more on there by having him ask questions about, well, how do you feel, answer questions about how do you feel about the fact the flyers may have drafted your successor after you had the worst year of your career? It's, it's tough. And it's a, it's an interesting question. Not because like, I think the flyers are, you know, like, they can't wait to draft a goalie, but it's just the way the draft could fall. If they keep that pick could really make for an interesting, tough decision on the part of the front office. And I'd be fascinated to see if it, if it played out that way. Yeah. It's intriguing to me as well from the scaring Carter Hart perspective. Cause you look at what happened with Florida and Spencer Knight and like, could that happen again with the flyers? Possibly. <laughs> so I, it, it does interest me as well. Um, Looking sort of backward a little bit at this past season, and this doesn't necessarily have to be a Flyers thing, but is there something that you got horribly wrong from this past season, but you're like, I'm going to give myself a pass on it because who could know? And then is there also one thing from this past season that you're kicking yourself and wish you got right? Um, I mean, I would say the thing that I got wrong that I'm willing to give myself a pass on is that I did not think that Carter Hart would be the worst goaltender in the NHL. Like you're talking about a guy who had literally not had a bad season since he was like 12. And it was fair to assume that like, okay, maybe it's possible he was going to have a down year, you know, maybe, but the idea that he was going to be the worst starting goalie in hockey, like that never even entered my mind as a feasible possibility. And like, yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong to be like, yeah, Carter Hardy could be a dark horse for the Vesna. Sure, I was totally wrong, but I'm not going to kick myself too much over that. Um, the one thing that I will say that I, I had in the back of my head that I thought could be a problem, but I probably should have, I probably should have, should have realized it had the potential to be a bigger problem than it was, was the backup goalie situation in Philly. Because, I mean, I like Brian Elliott. I think Brian Elliott is a solid backup. I understand why they, they re-signed him for last season. The cap stayed flat. They, they, you know, they didn't necessarily have the money available to, you know, to go out and, um, and get an, an upgrade of that position. Although, in reality, I mean, it would have been much better to go out and get an upgrade of that position than to sign Eric Gustafson in retrospect. Um, but the, the thing that I wish I would have recognized is that it was a real risk to sign a guy as a backup in a season with a compressed schedule who was who would not be able to carry a load if the starting goalie faltered. Because I think that really played into what happened in March where Hart was struggling, Hart desperately needed a break, like an extended break, just to clear his head, and they couldn't give it to him because like Brian Elliott physically could not play all the games or else he was going to break down. So they had to keep throwing Carter Hart out there and he kept falling flat on his face because he was a wreck. And then Brian Elliott was, even though they didn't play Elliott in all the games, they played him in enough games where he wore down anyway. And then you had the worst of both worlds where you had a backup who wore down because he's not physically able to carry the load anymore because he's too old. 
but you also had to keep using the young guy in a situation where he couldn't get it done either. And the whole thing just collapsed. So I wish I would have been a little bit more cognizant that maybe in this unique of a season, they really should have splurged on the backup just in case, because Brian Elliott was not the right fit for this kind of schedule. Yeah. And that definitely shows in the way that March went for the flyers. Uh, But coming up next, we're going to talk about um, the wilds, frankly, wild buyout of Parise and Suter um, and how it impacts the Flyers. Uh, And also, uh, Rachel and I are going to grill you, Charlie, on a few of your uh, hobbies outside of hockey. Uh, So I'm very excited for that. And that'll be coming up right after this. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer choosing only the brands their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket on your phone. Rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in there, how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com And we're back. So, Charlie... The biggest news, one of the biggest news that came out recently uh, before we did this podcast was that the Minnesota Wild bought out Parise and Suter. Uh, Do you think that impacts the Flyers at all in terms of like potential free agent signings or even the possibility of acquiring Matt Dumba? And secondary follow-up, do you think the Flyers should go after Ryan Suter as a secondary option here? It's an interesting question. Um, Do I think it affects the Flyers too much? I mean, it definitely affects them on Dumba because I do think that Dumba was not a top choice, but definitely like a backup plan. You know, if if some some other things didn't come through, I think they would have circled back on the Matt Dumba as a potential, you know, well, we didn't get the big guy, but Dumba's good. Well, now Dumba's going to be protected, so I can't imagine Minnesota trades him now. I mean, I guess it's possible if they do a little bit of a shakeup, but the the main reason why Dumba was out there is because the idea that, well, we weren't going to be able to protect him. We might lose him for nothing. Now they're not going to lose him for nothing because he'll be protected, so that motivating factor is gone. So I do think that impacts him to a degree. That said, I don't think Dumba was ever like the Flyers and Fletcher's top choice because rightfully I think they realized that you know Dumba is more of a really, really good second pair defenseman than a true first pair defenseman. And to really address the holes in the blue line, they, they need a first pair defenseman. Um, so it impacts them, but I don't think it kills them. It just takes away another plausible option. Um, as for the second part of the question about Suter, um, if you squint, you can see a fit. Because, you know, obviously there's the veteran presence. Obviously, Fletcher is the one that brought him to Minnesota in the first place. Um, and he's still a good player. You know, he's not great. He's not what he used to be. But he's still a good player. You know, he, he maybe could bring that Niskanen-type vibe to the locker room that was clearly missing this past year into the defense. Um, I'm not quite sure the fit is perfect, though, just because, I mean, Suter, number one, he's a lefty shot. So you would probably be playing third pair minutes unless you move Travis Sanheim over, you know, to the right side on the second pair, or if you 
really shake it up and trade Travis Anaheim, which I mean, I guess is in, it's possible. I'm, I'm not expecting it, but you never know with this off season. Um, plus, like, I just don't know if the Flyers are the right fit for Suter. Um, you know, if you're Ryan Suter, you just got bought out. Now you have the opportunity to pick your pick your next location. And the Flyers obviously want to have this big offseason. They want to launch themselves back into the category of contenders, but they're not there yet. And if you're Ryan Suter and you're getting older, you, know, you still haven't won a cup, you know, maybe you're thinking, I think I'd rather sign with a team that gives me a clear path to winning that, winning that cup, getting that ring. And I don't know if the Flyers are that team. So if I'm the Flyers, sure, I'm kicking the tires. You know, can't hurt. He's a good player. Maybe he'll come cheaper than, than expected. But I don't know if the fit is right for Suter and the Flyers, considering what I suspect Suter will want. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know, Rachel, if you have any more hockey-related questions for Charlie, because we're going to wrap up soonish uh, as best we can. Uh, but um, so, Rachel, do you have any more hockey questions for Charlie, or do you want to start grilling him on his uh, outside uh, of hockey stuff? No, let's let's go for that outside. All right, you can stuff. you can go first because we have two different things we want to ask about. So, Rachel, you go first with it. So mostly, Charlie, outside of hockey, I am impressed with your musical taste. <laughs> And the mm -hmm. fact that you know about a million times more bands than I could ever imagine. And sometimes you tweet about bands and I'm like, that cannot be a real band. I, <laughs> I swear to God. I, I definitely get that sometimes <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> so um, first off, what is your go-to album right now? Go-to album right now, um, by far right now, is uh, the new album by Japanese Breakfast called Jubilee. I, I love it. Um, oh, I've actually heard of this one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually, it's, it's actually, I've actually a, heard of this yeah. one. Yeah. It's, got, it's gotten a fair amount of hype. Um, like the, the main songwriter in the band, she just released a book, um, which apparently is on the New York Times bestseller list. I've actually been meaning to read it because um, she's Korean um, and it's kind of about like her relationship with her mom and growing up in I think like a mixed race household um, supposedly very very good so I want to read it but she's like kind of blowing up a bit in terms of you know getting pushed on the national stage but I love this this album it's definitely my favorite album of the year and it's just one of those records where like it's it's very bright um, you know musically there's like you know it's very joyous sounding a lot of horns um, just, just very like major key. Um, but it's like, it, it has a lot of depth, a lot of lyrical depth. Like she's a really good lyricist and, um, it's definitely my favorite album of the year. So that's the one that I would recommend. Like there, there's some albums I would say like that I really like that I wouldn't recommend to a lot of people because it's like, okay, you know, I like it, but I recognize that it's kind of niche. You know, you have to like a certain style of music to possibly be predisposed to liking this album. This album, Jubilee, like I pretty much recommend it to anybody. I just think it's a, a really a beautiful record. I will have to check it out for sure. Um, I have a very weird bucket list item for myself in that I would like to go to Winnipeg for a weekend and go to a home Jets game because I've never been to that arena, but then also hopefully time it to also go to a John K. Sampson show in Ooh, Winnipeg. Yes, yes. Th this is a bucket list item for me. Um, do you have anything on your music bucket list? Oh man, I mean, I would. That would be incredible. Um, not <laughs> not particularly super into the idea of going to Winnipeg. Um, right. Particularly in the winter, I've actually never been. I, I've never covered a Jets game. I'm I'm sure I will at some point if I, you know, by some miracle, stay in this industry for long enough. <laughs> 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 but um, but no, I'm I'm a I'm a 
huge, huge Weaker Than's fan. I mean, they're one of my favorite bands ever. And John K. Sands was one of my favorite lyricists ever. So, you know, seeing like a, I, I'm envisioning it being like, you know, a, like almost like a coffee shop show, like small oh. venue, like he's on like yeah, a stool, yeah. just like playing acoustic. That would be incredible. Just singing singing about cats. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Just like I, I saw them once. I think it was in like 2009. They were touring off of what ended up being their final album, Reunion Tour. And it literally was just like story time with John. Like that was the show. He was just up there with his band and he was just telling stories and it just happened to be music behind it. And it was awesome. And it would be really cool to see him play an acoustic show. That would roll. Mm. So um, before I get into my uh, separate, but also additional nerdy question, why music? What kind of drew you to that? Like, uh, I mean, ever since I've like known you, uh, it's always been like hockey in the regular season in the playoffs. And then once once that once that is off, it's all music all the time. Why? What what kind of drew you to it? That's a that's a good question. Um, I mean, I've been really into music pretty much since like the end of grade school. Um, you know, that was sort of like the height of like the punk emo scene mm -hmm. in like the mid 2000s was when I got into music. So it was just very easy for me at that time. You know, you're in high school, you know, it's like a formative time of your life. And I just sort of latched on to music as something that you know became a big part of me going to concerts with friends. It was a big social thing. Um, you know, just a big community element. And, you know, I just never lost it. Um, you know, I love going to concerts. That's one of the things that I missed the most during the pandemic was, was not mm -hmm. having that, like, that cathartic release of like going to shows and just like having that ability to just let loose. Um, I miss that a lot and it's been great. I've been to a couple shows since things have started to open back up again. And I, you know, you realize just how much you missed mm -hmm. it. Um, but I think that's why, you know, it's just that it hit me at a very like, you know, formative time in my life. And I mean, I really, really like lyrics. So that almost to me is the hook you know, really trying to, you know, understand what the artist was, was the, the message they're trying to convey and whatnot. And uh, that, that never ceases to be really interesting to me. So that's, I think, you know, at this point with the, at the age that I'm at now, like that's the big thing I get into with music now is, you know, get into the lyrics, really try to connect with, with the emotions they're trying to convey and then go to a concert and rock out. <laughs> oh, that, that's such a really cool answer. Uh, and it really had interested me for a while as to why you had, you really love music and it shows on uh on twitter and in the way you speak about it uh but uh switching tracks to i guess like the final topic of this interview uh way back when we worked together uh you had mentioned to me that you're a final fantasy fan and that kind of caught <laughs> me and that kind of caught me off guard because i i mean i didn't really know you uh at the time very well uh but kind of the same question about music what got you into the final fantasy series Oh yeah. Yeah. I love the final fantasy games. Um, that was, again, I think it was around that, uh, like that time, maybe even earlier than, than music. Um, one of my friends had bought final fantasy 10 and I was like watching him play it one time when we were all over his house. I was like, this looks really cool. I need to buy this. And I bought it and I loved it. And it's still probably like my favorite game from a nostalgia mm -hmm. standpoint. Like I, I replayed it during the pandemic and I was like, yep, still love it. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I, I love the story, the, the just like the 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 campiness, but in like a dramatic way. It's it's so it's so Japanese RPG and it just owns it. And I I, I there's a couple I've missed. Like I, I'm I'm still slowly working through Final Fantasy VIII. At some point I will finish it. Um I have not played 
the one with uh, the new one, the newest one, the one where they're driving around. It's like oh, Final the, Fantasy 15. Yeah, the, the buddies driving around on the road trip. I have not played that the one. The road yet. trip. Yeah, the road trip one. Yeah. The road trip one. Yeah. Um, so I haven't played that one yet, but most of them I've played. And obviously, like during the pandemic, when the remake came out, which I know, Mary, I know you love, mm-hmm. um, I, I had in my head that I wanted to get it, but I didn't, I didn't own a PS4. So it was like, well, you know, I guess I'll, you know, wait until the price goes down. Maybe there's a deal or whatever. And then the game came out, I think like Thursday, like Friday night at midnight. And I woke up on that Friday and just on a whim, I checked to see if the target in my neighborhood was stocked with it. And it was not only with that, but also with a PS4. And I was just like, you know what? I'm buying one. Yes. <laughs> I just like I just went to the Target, you know, put my mask on, bought a PS4 and Final Fantasy VII remake, and then played it for the next like three weeks and had a blast. So yeah, I was gonna ask you about that uh, if you had played it. Um, I assume now you don't have a PlayStation Five to play I the the DLC. Uh, so definitely get that when you can, if you can. Uh, but my one of my last questions was gonna be: so you're did you play the original Final Fantasy VII? Um, yes, I okay. did. I went back and played it later. Okay, so you had played the remake first and then... No, no, I, I played 7 okay. before the remake. Okay, but so you I, played 7 I, before but, the remake. But 7 wasn't like the first Final Fantasy game I got into, like a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I do I do remember being really young when it came out, mm-hmm. and my older cousin was playing it one time. And funny, so funny story about this. Um, I used to hang out over my cousin, my cousin's house all the time because it was like three of my cousins and the, the youngest was my age. So like we were really close when we were younger. Um, my the, the second cousin in that group, my cousin Connor was I think like I think he's like four or five years older than us so he was playing Final Fantasy 7 but he changed the name of the main character from Cloud to (laughs) Jay-Z no idea why but I spent like most of my younger years thinking that the main character's name in Final Fantasy 7 was Was Jay-Z until I went back after playing Final Fantasy 10 and was like well Final Fantasy 7 is like the classic I gotta play I was like oh his name's Cloud what do you know (laughs) oh that's that's such a good story that reminds me of uh, when I as a kid played uh, Pokemon Gold uh, and your rival he says his name is question mark question mark question mark and I repeated that back to the guy when you're supposed to name your rival because I thought that's (laughs) what his name was nice Uh, but my real final question for you Charlie so Final Fantasy VII Remake turned me into an Aerith girl. Are you Team Tifa, Aerith, or Jesse? Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. Or so, none of them. No, no, no. It's, it's it's funny. So, like, I feel like I was always Team Tifa. Mm-hmm. And, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, Aerith is awesome in that game. I think the voice actor did an incredible job. I, if anything, lean more towards Team Jesse after that. Oh, she was awesome. A man of culture, I see. <laughs> yep. Well, because like in, in the original, like she's just kind of there. She's like such a minor character and they did such a good job fleshing her out. And it's like cloud, man, like what the hell? What the <laughs> she, hell? Just go for the pizza cloud. Yeah, this, isn't a, this isn't a euphemism. They're, like she actually is like, I'll make you pizza sometime. Like I yeah. swear. So well, that's good to know because like, like you, I was a Tifa person when playing the original. Um, and then during the during the remake, I was like, oh, Aerith is fantastic too. They added so much to her character and her voice actor is fantastic. And then here comes Jesse along and is also like you know really cool and they add a lot to her character and really flirty and i'm like come on you can't just do this to me squad <laughs> you can't just you can't just do this to me but uh i'm really glad i got to ask you this because i was wondering for some time and now i finally cornered you about you know your final fantasy takes and your music takes uh but i think that's all the time we have with you charlie uh so before we go plug your stuff 
Uh, yeah. So, um, so I think you mentioned earlier, I obviously, you know, cover the flyers for the athletic, uh, subscription-based site. We always have deals going on. So it's usually a few dollars a month to check us out. Um, so definitely, you know, if you're interested in, in reading what I have to say about the flyers, both from a reporting and analysis standpoint, you know, definitely check that out. Uh, I'm also on the BSH radio podcast every week, which is our flagship show. We have a ton of other ones that get released on a, on a daily basis. Um, we usually record that on a Thursday, so that should be tomorrow. Um, and that's free. So if you want to hear, <laughs> you want to hear me talk more, you can just listen on that show. Just subscribe you know, to the BSH radio feed. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Charlie O underscore con, where I will be for the next three weeks, at least tweeting a lot about the flyers. Then I might swing back into music tweets, but I think now I'm pivoting back to, you know, having to tweet professionally for yeah. quite a while when it the, does the stuff's going on. It does kind of suck when you have to go, oh man, I can't just tweet about the things I like. I have to go <laughs> professional on my Twitter account. Oh, I, what do people know, follow right? me? What do people follow me for? That's like exactly. Thing. I mean, they definitely just follow me for the music tweets. It's not. Yeah. That. I mean, why not? You've, you've really <laughs> added some really good music to our repertoire, I'm sure. Uh, but thank you very much, Charlie. Uh, and after the break, we'll talk about more pop culture stuff in our pop culture roulette. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. And the new improved Built Bar is even deliciouser. Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor? If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you're missing out, as you've got coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel. There's something for everyone with Built Bar, and if you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mix box, where you get two of each of the nine flavors. Not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy, too. Built Bar is great for any health-conscious person, as you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Most of the flavors have... 17 grams protein, only 130 calories, only 4 grams sugar, and only 4 grams net carbs. A couple of the other flavors have 18 grams protein, just 100, 180 calories, 5 grams sugar, and 5 grams net carbs. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. Order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you'd like. All bars are covered in 100% chocolate and are soft and easy to chew. So go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, Rachel. That was a really fun interview with Charlie. I was like, a, like I was saying, it's great to get his opinion on things because he's a smart dude. Um, full of multitudes, not just hockey, music, and Final Fantasy. And I really think we got some good answers out of him. Uh, you know, talking about the Flyers and what they're going to do, but also explaining what Stuff he likes outside of hockey, because I always love doing that when we've got guests and I can, you know, talk to them about their interests outside of the sport, because it's fun. But like we do every week, we're going to sit down and do our pop culture roulette and talk about things other than hockey. Um, so I have the Loki finale as the big thing I want to talk about. But I know you had mentioned, Rachel, that we want to talk a little bit more Broadway stuff. Uh, but first, we'll get into the Loki finale. So, Rachel, did you watch it? I did. Okay. We should do like a big spoiler alert. <laughs> okay. So yes, yeah, spoiler yeah. warning, spoiler alert. Uh, we've done this before on the show. If you don't want to hear Loki spoilers, get off now uh, and probably skip to the end of the episode. But go ahead, Rachel. Um. So I did not love the finale. I have Ooh, to say. Interesting. Yeah. And I feel like I'm definitely in the minority here, which is fine. I just also feel like 
the finale made it seem like the entire series was just a means to an end to prop up phase four of the films. And so it took away from what they did with the Loki character for me a lot that they're just like, oh, all of what Loki has just been through is to set up the multiverse. And so, yeah, Loki is just a prop here. And that was very disappointing to me. And I think reduce my enjoyment of what we had done so far also you know even though i'm not huge into reading the comics i understand who kang is and that this actor had been cast as kang in upcoming movies and so it was just kind of projected this whole time that that's who was going to be at the end here and so it just kind of fell flat because i knew that that's what was going to happen interesting i can i understand what you mean about the whole um like setting up um, future Marvel movies because uh, Marvel Marvel movies do that sometimes, um, and I can I completely understand that as a criticism. Though I, it is interesting to me that you said that the reveal of Jonathan Majors, the actor uh, from Lovecraft County or Lovecraft Country, my bad, uh, uh, he was uh, cast as Kang, um, and he will be in the upcoming Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania movie. Um, it's interesting to hear you say that his reveal kind of fell flat because for me, I know when WandaVision happens, people were, you know, theorizing, theorizing and all this and the stuff that they were theorizing didn't come to pass. And it like, it seems as if like the showrunners were like, kind of pulled a Game of Thrones, like kind of like, oh, this is where it's leading, but we don't want you to be right. So we'll move things around a little bit and so you're not right uh this to me felt really nice that you know the signs were all there and it made it it just made sense to me uh narratively why um kang was there at the end um and i do want to shout out jonathan major's performance here what a he he owns that role i'm looking forward to seeing what else he does in the future but um i do agree with you that it does kind of lessen loki's impact a little bit but there will be a season two and I would like to think that the season two might not like try and set up future movies. I think that they that might be where the real meat of his character shines. That's just maybe me projecting a little bit on it. Uh, but that's kind of where I could see it being the case because they don't have to set up future movies. It could just be a you know frolic around through the multiple timelines that have now uh, been introduced. But it is a little bit frustrating that it really was like you said like a means to an end to get the multiverse there but i did kind of figure that was going to be the case either here or wandavision um knowing that that connection to the multiverse and whatnot but i understand your frustration yeah you made a really good point about where season two could go so and i'm absolutely willing to be wrong when it comes to how this affects you know with the movies and circling back to season two so i Mm -hmm. I am looking forward to seeing if they can spin this in a different way that makes me appreciate it more. I did enjoy it. Um, It was more talk heavy than I thought, but I thought that that kind of fit with what was happening with all the exposition. And like I said, Jonathan Majors knocked it out of the park with the performance. Uh, So I really wasn't bored while watching it. I was really just enjoying his performance going back and forth from, you know, know it all uh, to like, kind of like, not scared, but like, you know, when he gets to the point where like that we've passed the threshold, like just the way his performance went was really cool to watch. And again, I've given props to, you know, Tom Hiddleston and whatnot before. So I think everybody really, really knocked it out of the park here with her performances. Sophie DiMartino, great as Sylvie was fantastic. 
Um, I really hope we see, see all of those characters again. That's where I really disagree. I did oh, really? not like her performance at all. She absolutely ruined scenes for me. And I feel bad because uh, I don't think she's like a bad actress overall. I just don't think she was right for this part. Mm. And she, I think it's she just, just the fell character. flat. Mm, interesting. I, I liked her performance because of the way her character was and, you know, the emotion she showed on her face in certain scenes. I mean, I know she was supposed to be emotionless for a lot of it, but the emotion she showed on her face in certain scenes I really enjoyed. But it is interesting to hear you say that. And I like that we're having this conversation because uh, I, I consume Marvel at very, like, a surface level. Uh, I don't really, you know, dive deep into the theories. I do enjoy, like, you know, people talking about, you know, Kang coming up here and, you know stuff with WandaVision. I enjoy reading that stuff or like listening to people go on about it, but I enjoy Marvel at a surface level. Uh, I don't really, I just kind of like watch it. I'm like, that was cool. And then kind of just go, all right, more, go on with my day. Uh, but it's interesting to hear you say that. I think that that's a really cool perspective. Um, but I don't think anything bad on the actress. I think she did great, but you're definitely allowed to disagree with me in that regard. <laughs> but I know we wanted to talk about uh, when we closed out the show off of, um, off recording last time you had mentioned in the brief time we have left you wanted to talk about broadway because i had mentioned last time that we kind of knew each other via broadway so rachel did you have any questions for me did you just want to talk broadway what's up yeah i i kind of wanted to ask you if there was something now that things are opening up again if there's a show in particular that you were eager to see Ooh, actually i have an answer to this one because i do have tickets to see a show uh in the fall sometime um, I think in October, my sister and I, actually, I think our whole family is going to go see Six, the musical. My sister nice. loves, my sister loves that show. And it's, from what I understand, it's just like a 50 minute rock concert that isn't really a show with no, like, n- not a traditional show with no intermission. Uh, she really got me into the music before the pandemic. And we were actually going to go see it sometime last year, I believe. Uh, but then, of course, you know, tickets got moved canceled etc etc because of the pandemic um so we're gonna go see that so that's the show i have lined up first uh to go see and i'm really excited to see because i know it's an interesting experience it's not like a typical theater experience and i really did love the music from it i'm excited to see live theater again um but I don't know. I'll have to go check to see like what other shows are out there just besides, you know, your classic Les Mises and Wicked's and stuff like that eventually coming back uh, because, you know, Broadway had been gone for so long. But uh, Rachel, do you have a show that you're ready to go see uh, when Broadway opens back up? So something I had tickets for before. For the shutdown that I'm very interested in seeing is this company revival that is gender swapped. So it has Katrina Lank and Patti LuPone, Broadway royalty right Mm -hmm. there with Miss Patti. And I, I cannot wait to see how this plays out because, again, it's a gender swapped version of it. And I love company and its soundtrack. So I'm I'm super excited about that one. And then uh, I did actually get to see recently kind of the first thing that I went to post pandemic and got <laughs> tickets for was a cabaret show from one of my favorite Broadway composers, Jason Robert Brown. Uh, you may know him from the musical 13, which is where Ariana Grande got her start. And also probably his most famous show is The Last Five Years. Oh, yeah. 
Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, he just does these uh, monthly shows or he had done them before the pandemic. That was a residency at a a spot downtown. And so this was his first show back after the pandemic. And it was so emotional and gorgeous. And I love his music. And, you know, he puts out albums in addition to his Broadway compositions, which also include uh, Parade, which is one of my favorite lesser known shows and I think has the best opening number in the history of Broadway. Oh, wow. Yeah. In Parade. And then uh, he also did a adaptation of Bridges of Madison County, which is gorgeous as well. So definitely recommend looking up his work. And I was just so honored and inspired to be in that room with him and you know just a very small intimate cabaret performance at uh, 54 below that uh yeah just beautiful so i feel like broadway's coming back and it's gonna be good yeah i i think i mentioned on the show before because we andrew and i have talked a little bit of broadway um because i had watched the in the heights movie and had mentioned that here but i know i'm going to be incredibly emotional a once i go back into a theater again and see a show uh because like Charlie had mentioned in our interview, you don't know what you have, like you don't know what you've missed till it's gone. Um, and then I know that Broadway's opening night, I know I'm going to see videos of, you know, standing ovations for the cast of every single show and I'm just going to lose it. I know I will. <laughs> uh, so I'm very much excited for uh, live theater tears again because there really is nothing like a live theater show. Um, and I definitely encourage you, if you can, to go to go see one when things open back up. But Rachel, I think that's all the time we have for you today on the Crosscheck NHL show. As part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Make sure to follow us on your podcast platform of choice, from Apple to Odyssey to Spotify. Rate, review us while you're at it. Before I end the show, Rachel, plug your stuff, because this is your last uh, podcast with me before Andrew comes back from vacation. So plug your stuff. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure joining you this week. I had a lot of fun. Uh, You can find me at Locked On Flyers on that show every day here on the Locked On Network. And my personal Twitter is rmiriam. All right. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, And we'll be back on Tuesday with some more Puck Talk. And Andrew will be back. See you next time. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.